thank you for being a part of our church service today. It is our desire at Riverstone Church that God's Word will work in you to produce an abundant field life. To know more about the ministry or to support, visit riverstonechurch.net. May the Lord bless you today as you listen to this message. I'd like you to stand with me uh, for the reading of the Word of the Lord out of Acts chapter 9. We're going to read uh, the second part of verse 19 uh, down through verse 25. Um, uh, Acts 9 uh, verse 19. You may have a division there in your Bible in verse 19. This will be the second part and we'll go through verse 25. The word of the Lord says to us, now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on his name, and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? Verse 22. But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is to Christ. Verse 23, when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the public reading of Scripture. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to be together. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to hear your word, to rejoice in your goodness. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to uh, hear the preached word. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you would help me to preach only uh, what you would have said today, Lord Jesus, that uh, the cross would be magnified in this place today. The Lord Jesus Christ would be magnified. And Lord, prevent me from saying anything which would hinder uh, the message of the gospel from going forth. So God, we trust ourselves to you today. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit would speak. Give us a desire to walk it out faithfully before you. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. So we've been talking over these last several weeks as we have uh, looked at uh, Philip and uh, the uh, Ethiopian eunuch, as we have looked at, uh, thank you, brother, as we have looked at uh, the Apostle Paul and uh, his work and conversion, uh, we have talked about the gospel and evangelism. Uh, work together and how God is sovereignly working to spread the news of Jesus Christ to save those who are lost. And Saul, again, just as a point of recap, uh, the name Saul or Paul speaks of the same person uh, throughout the book of Acts. And so I'll use that interchangeably uh, during the message. But Saul or Paul, who was 
one of the instrumental persecutors of believers. At this point in our story, in the beginning of chapter 9, he was heading from Jerusalem to Damascus in order to bring Jews, those who loved Jesus, uh, those Jews who loved the Lord, who were worshiping uh, Jesus in Damascus. He wanted to bring them back to Jerusalem in order to set them before a religious court on trial. Uh, He desired to uh, persecute them, to imprison them, uh, to kill them. He was in direct opposition to those who would say that Jesus is Lord. And as he was heading to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him and he asked Paul, he said, why are you persecuting me? And we talked about that last week, how Jesus sees himself as synonymous with the church. So when we, if we're to say negative things about the church, church or to persecute people who are in the church, Jesus sees that in the same way as if we were persecuting him directly. And so we have to be very cautious about what we might say about those people in the church. We want to be careful about those words. And so Jesus asked Paul, why are you persecuting me? The flash of bright light when Jesus appeared, Paul supernaturally lost his sight. He was led by those who were with him to Damascus. And in Damascus, God spoke with a guy named Ananias in a a dream or vision to go and to pray for this man, uh, Saul, and Ananias went, laid hands on him. Saul received his sight. He believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was uh, baptized, converted to Christianity. And then we find him here at verse 19, that while he's in Damascus after his conversion, Paul begins to preach and to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he is proclaiming is that Jesus is the Son of God. So we see this conversion experience. Paul is converted, and immediately he begins to preach the message of hope. He begins to speak about Jesus being the Son of God. What's interesting is this this word, this phrase, Jesus being the Son of God, it's the first time we're introduced to that in the book of Acts. It's very uh, unique to Paul. He kind of points to that phrased over and over as Jesus being the Son of God, meaning that uh, Jesus in Jesus is the fullness of God. We can believe in Jesus as the true Son of God, that in him is the fullness of deity. While he is 100% man, he is also 100% God. What we also see here at the beginning of the text is that there is a continuity of the message that is preached from Peter in the beginning of Acts to Stephen to Philip and now to Saul that Jesus is the Messiah. Different people, different places, different times, all preaching the exact same message that in Jesus we find our hope for the appeasement of the wrath of God for the forgiveness of sins. And what we see in all of this from the beginning of the book of Acts until now is that there is an urgency and an immediacy in gospel proclamation. What we see in the early church is people who knew there was an urgency for others who had not heard to hear the message of hope. People need to hear the gospel. People need to hear the gospel message. Sometimes we get comfortable in our 
church thinking that God will somehow kind of move them out there to come in. And oftentimes we pray that prayer, God, move them out there to come in. And I know at times what we mean about that, that someone would hear and then come to the church, but the the insistence that we see in the New Testament is that they were going out. There was an urgency. They weren't just kind of sitting together in their gathering, sort of waiting for God to kind of bring people in, but they were strategizing, thinking, praying, and moving out into the place where people were who had not heard, sharing the message of hope, sharing the message that Jesus is the Son of God. They didn't waffle or vacillate on that. They were very emphatic in the message that there is no other way. There is no other Son of God. That it is in this man, Jesus, that we have hope. Jesus was obedient to carry out the mission of gospel reconciliation between God and man. You see, we are saved by God moving upon us by the power of his spirit. Jesus says in John 6, 44, no one comes to me unless the father draws him. So when you came to know Jesus, your salvation experience, what happened was the Holy Spirit moved upon you in order to come to the saving faith of Jesus. The Holy Spirit, by his grace, moved upon you. God saw you in your iniquity and in your trespasses and in your sin, and he moved upon you to come to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. God initiated this work of salvation. We're responsible, yes, to respond to it, but God God is the initiator of it. That's why when we sing praises, we can sing it out of a heart of love for what God has done. God has revealed himself to us through his son by the power of the spirit to see in us that we could no longer, we would no longer and no wise choose God. Our hearts would not be turned toward God unless the spirit moved upon us to change our hearts to receive the message of hope. No one comes to Jesus unless the Father draws him. And what we see when people respond to the gospel message that is preached by the authority of the Holy Spirit is that there ought to be a change in who we are. And we see this in the Apostle Paul. There is an immediacy of life change. He once was a persecutor, of those who were believing in Jesus. And now he is a proclaimer of the way of hope. You know, I can uh, appreciate those who say they love the Lord and follow after Jesus, that at times there is this sort of struggle with worldliness or struggle to kind of turn away. But what we have to understand is that when we come to Christ, there is a true supernatural change. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 puts it this way. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So there is this supernatural change, this supernatural transformation from the kingdom of darkness, one who is working in darkness, one is who is pursuing a life of darkness. And again, we, don't, we may not 
couch that in the terms of someone, you know, kind of the evil guy in the dark cloak sort of working under the cover of darkness. Those who refuse the Lord are in the kingdom of darkness, no matter how good they are or how good they seem. But when the Lord saves us, there is this transference from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, and the spiritual transference ought to manifest itself in the natural. We see this in Paul's life. There was an immediacy of change, an immediacy of transformation. We see it over and over again in the New Testament. So why do so many who say they are believers live in this habitual cycle of sin, of desiring the things of the world, but saying, oh, there's a God over here who loves me and cares for me, and in times of worship and in times when the Spirit is moving, we lift our hearts and we cry out to God, and we genuinely in our mind at that moment want to be close to God, but the rest of the time we go back to the things of the world. We look at things we shouldn't look at. We do things we shouldn't do. We say things we shouldn't say because it's not indicative of what it means to be in the kingdom of light. And what we see in the life of Paul and what Luke is writing for us again, not just one time, but three times in the book of Acts, is that there is a change in a man who encounters Jesus. There's a difference about him. What he was once pursuing, he's no longer pursuing, and now he's after righteousness. That has to be our heart's desire. You know, on Monday nights when Celebrate Recovery meets, they talk about and think about what it means to live in the kingdom of light. People who may be stuck with old habits, with old things that continue to draw. Now, why do we have a ministry such as Celebrate Recovery? What's the purpose of that ministry? Because we know if you continue in your trespasses and sin, if you just get comfortable with it, if you say, I love Jesus, but I'm comfortable in my sin, this is the path to destruction. This is the path to destruction, self-destruction. And it's worse when you say you love Jesus and you continue on the path of self-destruction. But what we want to try to do is live a real life within the church. You and I are real people, real flesh and blood. And there's sometimes when, as they say at Celebrate Recovery, sometimes we have hurts, sometimes we have uh, hang-ups, and sometimes we have habits that are not like living in the light, in the kingdom of light. And so what we have to do, we have to surround ourselves with brothers and sisters who help to pull us out of the old ways and structure in us new ways by the power of the Spirit. You can't live in habitual sin. It will destroy you. It will destroy your faith. It will destroy your walk with the Lord. You and I cannot find ourselves living in and getting comfortable with habitual sin because this gospel tells us that there is a supernatural change and it ought to manifest itself in the physical man or woman. But what do we hear all around us? What do we even see in places that call themselves churches? It's okay to live like that. 
It's okay to live like you want. It's okay to do this. It's okay to do that. God loves you just as you are. And yes, when you're in the kingdom of darkness, he loves you just as you are. But when you transfer it over to the kingdom of light, he wants you to get rid of the junk. Now, some people, that happens in a very instantaneous way. Other people, it is a more gradual way, but it ought to be a process. It ought not to be on this side of life, living in darkness, like in the Simba, say, oh, I love Jesus over here. There has to be a pointing toward the light and a walking toward the light and a desire to leave what is behind. Because it's not like the Lord. We know when we look at things with our eyes that aren't pleasing to the Lord that we're degrading another human. Jesus talked about this very clearly when he said, if you even look at someone with lust, you've already committed the sin of adultery. And we could just kind of go down the line of all the things because Jesus wants us to live in the line. And it's not just because God wants to have this list of checkboxes that we all check off. It's because sin leads to destruction. That's why God says, don't do it. Don't sin, not just because God says, oh, I don't really like that. I like you to do this. I don't like that. I like this. I don't like that. I like this. I don't like that. No, God says, don't do these sins because they lead to the path of destruction. They'll destroy your life. They'll destroy your relationships. They'll destroy your interaction with other people. They'll destroy your relationship with God. It will get your eyes off of me. And the only way that you have true freedom is to keep your eyes on me. And so when you say you love Jesus, but you're living in your trespasses and sin, and you say, I really don't see much of a difference between who I was then and who I am now, there is a problem. You have to self-examine, kind of look within. There's something wrong. It's a red flag. You need to get somewhere where there is a change. Get around people who will help you. Be open. Don't put on a mask and try to act like you're living over here when you're really living over here. You see, no one's going to condemn you, at least no one in this church. See, we're not going to be the one who says, yes, I love Jesus, I'm having a struggle, and then over here, everybody's pointing. You know, you hear about brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. We're not going to do that here. You know what's going to happen if that happens in this church? Someone is going to be brought under church discipline. And someone's going to go to them and going to say, what you're doing is ungodly, now you're living over here. You're wanting to point the finger. Now you've moved over here. Come back over into the fold. You know, today's my first Mother's Day without my mom. And I think what she's experiencing before uh, the Lord in heaven and how she's rejoicing uh, before the Lord in heaven. And I thought about that. I've thought about today and what today means and kind of how this emotionally, I don't, I don't even feel like I've truly grieved that process yet. But what I do know is that I can be open in a community of faith and say, hey, there's still some wound and hurt kind of going on in here. I've wrestled with God a little bit about this because my grandmother, my mom's mother, lived to be 93 years old. I always just assumed my mom was going to live in her 90s. 
Never passed a thought in my brain that she would only live to 68. And so I've wrestled with God a little bit about that. I've wrestled, why did she have to go so soon? But I feel comfortable being real about that hurt. That's not the only hurt I have. But you and I have got to be real with one another. Life is short. Life is short. And we can't put up masks and act like everything's okay because we're afraid of what so-and-so might say or so-and-so might do. Be yourself. Be who you are. Say you love Jesus if you're living over here, but let us help you get over here. Let us help you get rid of some things that are there so you can walk over here. If we need to structure around you, if guys need to, uh, men, guys need to show up at your house every morning and say, did you read your Bible? Brother Jay, I forget the exact term that you used yesterday, but the way I've heard it is no Bible, no breakfast. You don't read your Bible, you don't eat breakfast. In the morning, you get up, you read your Bible. If you don't read your Bible, you don't get breakfast. No Bible, no breakfast. He said a similar statement yesterday. If you have to have somebody show up at your door, you've had breakfast. Did you read your Bible? We want to help you move along. I want people to help me kind of move along. We see in Paul's life here in Acts chapter 9 that there was this immediacy of transformation that what he was doing, now he is proclaiming Jesus where he was a persecutor. Now he's shouting about the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace in salvation. There was this transformation that happened. But the beauty of this is that in verse 22, it also says that he kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews, that he was proclaiming Jesus, but he continued in this process of growth by proving that Jesus is the Christ, that what he was doing was putting together some of the Old Testament texts, and he was preaching to them about how this demonstrated that Jesus was the fulfillment of all the prophetic word of the Old Testament. He was studying to understand how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies, and as he was gaining knowledge of Christ, he was sharing that knowledge with others. He was growing. At a moment of his conversion, he wasn't completely grown in Christ. The Bible says that he continued to grow. So there is this instantaneous change in this gospel proclamation. He's fully convinced of what he believes, but yet he is also continuing to grow in Jesus. What Paul was doing is he was putting together his supernatural experience on the Damascus road with the written revelation of God in the scriptures. You see, our our experience is wonderful. What we don't see Paul proclaiming over and over and over again, though he does mention it from time to time, but we don't see him just proclaiming his experience on the Damascus road. What Luke records, he says, is that Jesus is the son of God. That's the message, but our testimony has to fit into the scriptures. Our experience has to fit into the scriptures because experience is wonderful, but experience alone does not carry you through. You have to place your experience in the narrative of scripture. Your experience cannot be self-defining. It has to be defined according to God's word. Your experience, my experience, our testimony is part of God's ongoing story of his work in the world. 
and what has happened to you, what has been part of your life, only receives its full interpretation through the narrative of Scripture. So this is a type of church that we want to be, a church that recognizes God's sovereign, supernatural intervention in our lives, but under the beauty or the authority of Scripture. So we want to evaluate our experiences in life based upon what happens in God's word and what we read in God's word and the doctrine of God's own word. See, you can't have your own truth. I've heard this said so often lately. People will say, well, that is your truth. I have my truth. What does that even mean? I don't even understand what that means. What is truth? Then what, what is the word truth mean? How can it be different for you and different for me and different for this person and different for that person? How can everybody have their own truth of what it is? You can't, but that's what the world teaches. You can't have your own truth and I can't have my own truth. What we must have is the truth of scripture. That's why our experience must be interpreted through the lens of God's word. And that's what we see happening in the life of the apostle Paul. living life myself and having sat with people who are trying to walk through this life and who have had wicked things done to them. And they wonder and ask the question, how can a gracious God allow that to happen? So they have these experiences of life that are evil, wicked, whatever that has happened to them. And then they ask the question, how can God allow this to happen to me? And that becomes a place where they get hung up, where they stop, and they stop seeking God because the God you preach, the God I preach, wouldn't allow that to happen to me. But we have to help people reframe that question because we always have to start with the Lord and his word. Evil has happened in the world, but the scripture tells us that God is always seeking to redeem. So if in your mind you think about your past, you think, uh, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? God, why did you allow me to take this path in life? God, why did you bring this person in my life who wounded me so deeply? That's not the question as believers that we should ask as believers, because that's the question that the world asks. That's the question that the world asks. But the question that you and I must ask is, how is God using this for his redemptive purposes? See, that's what scripture teaches us to ask. It doesn't teach us to sit and wallow in self-pity, but what it teaches us to see is to step back and look at our life and see how is God using this for his redemptive purposes? There are some of us who have had experiences in our life, and I would say many of us who have had experiences in our life where we look back and we can't even put all the thoughts together because it's so revolting in our mind. And when we come into Christ, we have to ask the question, how is God using this? for his redemptive purposes. You see, it's all encapsulated there in Isaiah 61. God is going to give you 
the ashes of your life, he's going to transform that into something beautiful. You bring him ashes, and by his sovereign grace, he transforms that into something beautiful. Whatever we have, whatever scraps, whatever rubbish, whatever rags that we have to offer, God, how are you going to use this for your redemptive purposes? And when we begin to ask that particular question, and not why did this happen to me, but God, how are you using what has happened to me for your redemptive purposes? Then we begin to look to God every day. God, how are you using this for your redemptive purposes? How can I use this to be a blessing to someone else? How can I use this to help someone else along their journey? How can I use this experience that happened to me to help someone else who is now wrestling with the same thing? Paul had this experience with God on the Damascus road in it, and it was a defining experience for him, but again, it was not the summation of what he preached. Growth in the gospel happens with you and me when we place our story within the context of the redemptive story of God. The other thing we see here in the life of the apostle Paul is that when he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, when he came in relationship uh, with Jesus, there was this supernatural event that happened in his life, but there also continued to be persecution and challenge. So the idea that when you come to Jesus, everything is going to be okay and everyone is going to love you and like you is really not found in Scripture. But if you're like me, you like people to like you. And when someone doesn't like you, it kind of bothers you. You wrestle with it. But when you go to the scriptures, what you see is opposition against the preaching of the word, opposition against the movement of the church. And we see here in verses 23 through 25 that the Jews plotted to do away with Paul. Those who were once his friend cheering him on, giving him letters from the temple, go do this great work, Paul. You're the man. Go, 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 Paul. Now they're coming against him. They're plotting against him. They're seeing his conversion. They're hearing his testimony of what had happened to him on the Damascus Road, and they desire to kill him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 32, Paul says, even the governor was in on the desire to kill him. None of these people had a discernment to see a genuine move of God. All of these religious people, and no one had discernment to see something's going on here. None of the people were swayed by the miracles and signs which had happened. Can you believe that? Signs and wonders are happening and people are just standing back. We're going to get rid of this guy. We're going to kill him. We don't want this to go forth. This message is wrong. And all of these signs and wonders, a whole history of signs and wonders. And we think it would be different today. God, just do a miracle in Riverstone Church and people will just flock in. No, they won't. You'll be more persecuted than what you are now. Scripture says that they, they plotted against him. So there were people with Paul, so Paul didn't just kind of make up this experience on the Damascus Road. Acts tells us that while they didn't, the, the people with Paul, they didn't, uh, they didn't see Jesus, they did see the light, and they heard a sound. They couldn't make out exactly what was happening. Scripture tells us Jesus was speaking to Paul in Aramaic. There wasn't... Uh, 
there, there wasn't the understanding given to the disciples of Paul. So he wasn't just kind of waltzing along the Damascus Road all by himself. He was with kind of an entourage of people. They saw the light. They heard the noise. They saw that Paul was blinded. They had to lead him into Damascus. They saw all these things. So it wasn't just one man kind of making up this story. It was a whole group of people who knew something supernatural had happened, who were communicating that. And yet when that message gets out, the people, the religious leaders, others don't care. It says they took counsel or they plotted against him. When that means they they called a church conference together. That's why I'm not going to call that here. We're not going to call this a church business meeting. Church business meetings turn out to kill people. And that's what's happened. We're going to call it a family gathering. That's what we're going to keep calling it. (laughs) But they called this meeting. They conferred with one another. That's what it means. They conferred with when they were plotting, when they were taking counsel. What do you think? And what do you think? And what do you think? And what do you think? Conferring with one another that they were going to kill Paul. I'll tell you, there's always a desire to kill a genuine move of God. If we believe that we're in a supernatural world, that we exist in this tension of what we can physically see, and yet there's this supernatural realm that is existing around us in which God is enthroned, but there is an an enemy that still has a modicum of power that can pull people away, that there is this battle that is going on. If we truly believe that, then what we must believe is that when God is moving, the enemy is fighting against it. I so appreciate Brother David Brown. Often through the week, he'll give me a call and he'll say, Pastor, I've got someone here I want you to talk to. And what he's already done is done the work of sharing the gospel with them, but they may be in need of some type of hope or an encouragement or a prayer and we'll talk with them and exchange phone numbers and talk with them at a later time as well. And so this week that happened. He said, Pastor, I've got another one. And it's wonderful to see a brother who is vocationally employed doing, being a businessman and yet uses his business for the glory of Jesus. Amen. 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 And so this lady is uh, in his vehicle and he says she needs some encouragement today. And so I spoke with her. And one of the things that I shared with her, because he had just uh, led her to the Lord, as I, I shared with her, I said, no, be ready because the enemy is going to fight against you. But what I want you to know is that there is hope. There is a church that's going to love you and care for you. We're going to reach out to you because the enemy always tries to come against what God is doing. He always tries to fight against what God is doing. But the church in this case was wise and strategic. The Bible says that they lowered Paul down the wall at night in a large basket. I thought about this. You know, Philip, just a few chapters before, was witnessing to the Ethiopian guy, and God supernaturally moves him to the other location. His life wasn't under threat. Why did God do that with Paul? I mean, I would be thinking that if I was Paul, you just did this miracle with this other guy. Why won't you do this for me? 
How much easier would that have been than people having to get a big basket enough to put Paul in and lower him down on the outside of the wall, which would have been dangerous? God, why can't you just, boom, boom, there I am. I'm out. But he didn't do it. Paul was under threat. And the church had to use wise counsel and trust the Lord with the outcome. You know, sometimes we can pray for supernatural things. But God doesn't always do the same thing over and over again in terms of working things out. Sometimes we have to use wise counsel with the wisdom that God has given us in order to do the best thing and trust God with the outcome. As Paul was being uh, persecuted and there was this desire to, to kill him, the church had to be wise and strategic. And so they lowered Paul down in a basket at nine. Maybe they prayed for God to supernaturally intervene, but when they saw the time was right, they took action. That's what we have to do as well. We pray for God to work in supernatural ways. We pray for God to move in supernatural ways, but sometimes there's just hard work that has to be done. Sometimes when we pray for a church that ministers to broken people and we pray, God, bring the broken people here so we can minister to them, sometimes it's hard work. Not everybody is supernaturally delivered the first time. And you may pray for someone an hour and the next day they go right back to their sin. And you know what we have to do is go right back and try to rescue them again because there's hard work in being a gospel church. We rejoice in the good things that God does supernaturally. We talk about them as a testimony of God's power and God's might. But every other time we are trying to use wisdom that God has given us and trusting him with the outcome because the church was convinced of the work of Christ. The church was confident that God was doing something and they knew that his plans would not be overcome, even in the face of deep persecution. And you and I must be convinced of that work today. When we look around and we see the politics of our day and we see where the world is going and we see the things that are happening in our world, we cannot be overcome. I appreciate it again, brother, what you shared yesterday. Sometimes you just gotta turn the news off. If you're listening to the news more than you're reading your Bible, you're being influenced by something you don't need to be influenced by. It's not news anymore anyway. It's all commentary from somebody's agenda. But this is truth. So we have to spend our time here to be informed by the word of God. And what I can tell you is that your anxiety will come down. Your belief in the power of God will go up. Your prayers will go up. Your desire for the supernatural will increase. Because you're living in the word of God and you're standing in his truth. You and I must be convinced of this fact, that when someone encounters the Lord Jesus Christ, that there is a real and a lasting change that happens. We must also realize that in our work as the church, as the body of Christ, that there are some that we must come alongside for the long haul. We're not going to leave anyone behind, but we're going to pull them along in faith, walking with them for the glory of Jesus. And when you do that, it's going to be times of persecution. There's going to be times when you feel like I'm being caught up in the mess and I don't want to be, but what you must realize is that God is gracious and merciful, and if you're doing it for his glory, you're doing it for the right reason. Stand with me as we pray together and as we seek the Lord together today. I always want to open the altar for a prayer. If you're here this morning, you don't know the Lord, you've been away from the Lord Uh, you are welcome to come and to 
uh, seek the Lord and people will be here to meet you, to pray with you. Today is the day of salvation. If you don't know Jesus, today is the day of salvation. And we always want to make that opportunity available to you. But maybe in your life as well, you've been asking the question, God, why did this happen to me? God, why is my life in this place? Why is my life in this circumstance? Maybe that's been the question that you've been continually asking. You need God's help to reframe that question in a way which is according to God's word. God, how are you using this for your redemptive purposes? God, how are you using what was done to me? God, how are you using what I have done in the past, what I'm ashamed of? God, how are you using this for your redemptive purposes? You need someone to stand with you in prayer that God would help you to figure out, to understand how the experiences that you've had in your life can be used for his glory. That's why you and I are here. That's why we're here. We're here to be a church that loves. We're not here to just get an experience on a weekend to say we've done it and to check that box. We're real people who love the Lord. And some of us have walked through deep valleys and are wounded and hurt. And there's no need to try to act like that that hasn't happened. There's no need to try to act like that hasn't happened. And so let's put it out there. If you're struggling today and you need help, make a first step of faith to say, God, I want to see how you're going to use this for your redemptive purposes. How can I walk through this for your glory, Lord Jesus? need help asking that question. Take a step of faith this morning. Allow someone to pray with you and intercede with you as you would seek to come to the Lord today, offering him your life. Begin a first step to healing, to move away from things that you see are destructive. I don't have to tell you they're destructive. You know they're destructive. Today is a day of healing. I'm going to ask a few of you who are willing to pray with others just to come and stand. If you need prayer this morning, you're struggling, please come. Let someone intercede with you today. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace today, Lord. God, the enemy's blows in our life. At times, the wounds that he leaves are so deep, so lasting. And we get angry about it. We get upset about it. 
We form habits that at times are destructive because we say, I will never do that again or no one will ever do that to me again. And we build up walls and we push people away, Lord, but the the gospel comes to us. And while we may say, yes, we love Jesus, but we're still living in these old habits, these old sins, this old destructive nature, because we have to remove the mask. We have to get real with you and say, God, I'm willing for you to use this for your redemptive purposes. God, if that means being a little vulnerable, if that means being a little open, Lord Jesus, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to take a step of faith towards you, God. And Lord, we see in the gospels over and over and over again, when someone takes a step of faith, transformation happens. The woman who was struggling with the physical issues in her body, 12 years, doctor after doctor, using natural wisdom to try to figure it out. Those 12 years, Jesus wasn't around. Those 12 years, there wasn't an opportunity for her to touch his garment. But one day, one moment, there was an opportunity for healing and it took a step of faith. Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. The Lord's passing by today. Maybe you've struggled for years. Maybe you wrestled with your faith for years. Maybe you see the bubbling of things in your life that are drawing you away from God. Today is the day the Lord is passing by. Maybe you say, I've come a hundred times before, come a hundred and one. Let someone stand with you. Let someone love you. Let someone care for you. I just want to tarry here a moment because I don't want anyone to feel that you are alone. You are not alone in your struggle. You are not alone in what you're going through. You are not alone in what has happened in your life. You are not alone in the destructive habits Paul was destroying the church, destroying the body of Christ. And God saved him. The Lord's here for you. He wants to minister to you this morning. Take a step of faith this morning. Thank you for being a part of Riverstone Church. I hope today's message encouraged you to take a step closer to Christ. If there is anything we can pray for or talk with you about, please visit our website at riverstonechurch.net. May the Lord bless you this week and may you walk in all of His promises and plans for your life.